the topic of the whole sermon you'll see on the outline in the middle of your sheet, which you'll find it easier to follow what is being said if you have that open. The topic you see is the priority of the gospel. It's so good about an anniversary, just time to stop and think once again about what is the priority. What is the priority in our lives? What is our priority in our congregational life as well? So let's start with God's mission. For God sent his son into the world that by his death and resurrection he would pay for our sin and so save his people. But let's see God's mission from Jesus' perspective and from our perspective. From Jesus' perspective, you see it, it's summed up for us in the first Bible quote that I'd like to put up, that is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We never have to ask WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because we know he wouldn't have a little band with WWJD written on it, for he's not affected by American capitalism. We don't have to say what would Jesus do because we know what Jesus did. He came into the world to start a Christian rock group. No, not exactly. He came into the world to found a hospital or to start a Christian education system or to, to create a church retirement village. No, no, no. He came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came to do. So then what's our mission? Well, we can't save sinners by dying on their behalf as he did. But if we want to be like Jesus, then going into the world to save sinners has to be pretty central to our mission. We don't save them by dying for them. Well, we couldn't anyway. But we do save them by proclaiming the cross of Christ. We do save them, telling them about the Saviour who has died for them and invite them to repent and put their trust in Jesus, in him, their Lord and Saviour. This kind of commitment to other people's salvation is not limited to the, the super spiritual amongst us. It's not limited to the rector or to the other staff members and pastors of our church. Look at what Paul said of his way of living, of his own personal way of living. It comes at the end of 1 Corinthians 10. That's verse 31 following from there. He said, so whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether the Greeks or the church. I do not do that, the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now just keep that there for a while and look at those verses that are on the text in front of us there. Look at the comprehensive, all-opening kind of words that are involved here. It's about everything and anything and whatever. Do everything, he says, for the glory of God. Whatever it is you're doing from mowing the grass to parking the car, whatever you're doing, do all to the glory of God. Because he says, I seek to please everybody, not just some people, not just the people I like to please, everybody he is seeking to please. But notice he's not doing it for his own sake. He's not being a men pleaser so as to be popular with everybody. No, no, I do it not for my sake but for their sake, 
for what is good for them. And what is good for them? You see it there? So that they may be saved. Everything he's doing is for the glory of God and the salvation of people. And he doesn't do what he wants to do. He does what others need him to do so that they may be saved. But the kicker in it, the real point, the sting in the tail, actually is in the end there, isn't it? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, this is not an optional extra. This is what all Corinthian Christians, all MBM Christians are to do. You're to follow the example of Paul in living like that. And the reason why Paul lived like that was because Christ lived like that. And as Christ lived like that, I follow Christ. And Paul shows me how to follow Christ. This is the apostolic way of living because it was Christ's way of living. And therefore, it's the every Christian way of living which then raises the question of the priority of the gospel in our lives. For you see, our priorities are seen not so much in what we do as what we don't do because of what we do. See, we want to do everything. But you can't do everything. You don't have the resources, ability, time to do everything. You have to make choices in life. And the choices are, are the priority, aren't they? But the real key is what you don't do might be good, right, proper, but you don't do it because of what you want to do is more important. So you see your priorities in what you don't do because of the thing that is so important to you. So let's pick up one of the difficult issues of priorities balancing today in what I've got there as the work ministry balance, not the work-life balance, because for Christians to live is to minister the gospel. So we can get rid of the little word life and just put in the ministry, the work ministry balance. How do, we, how do we handle the work ministry balance? I want to minister the gospel to more and more people, but I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've got to work this week and work is taking more and more of my time. And so how do I do the ministries that need to be done? Well, let's start off on this by recognising the ministry of all believers to start with. The word ministry just means service. It's a very simple word, really. And all believers are called into service. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ as we serve one another. We serve one another because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. That is what we're to do. It's just basic to Christian love. It's the mark of being a Christian and of a Christian church that we love one another. But love there is not just feel warm with each other over a, what is it, Filipino lunch is it today? Over a Filipino lunch that you can feel warm. I hope that doesn't mean there's too much hot curry in it, but never mind. We feel warm with it. It's not just that kind of friendly kind of feeling. No, no. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is the laying down your life as a sacrifice for the other person. He's putting yourself out for their benefit. And so all Christians are ministers. All of us are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ 
servants of one another because we're servants of the gospel. But just as all Christians are ministers, all Christians are to work for their living. And so point B on the outline there, we are the work of all believers is to play our part in society, working with honest hands so that we will not be dependent upon anybody. Now, let me make sure we understand what we mean by work. Here's a little definition of work. It's a social activity of individual responsibility to so provide for the good of society that they will pay you sufficiently to be self-reliant. Yes, I know, it's a complicated, but work is a very hard thing to define, actually. It's, it's, a, it's a social activity. That is, we live in a complex city society. None of us are subsistence farmers here, I presume. We buy food, but we do things that give us the money to be able to buy the food. We buy the clothes, but we do things that make us pay. And so we are working for the good of society. It's a social activity is work. But it's an individual responsibility because we are to so work for the good of society that society will provide for us to go on living. It's a circular kind of activity. But putting it more crudely and simply, work is loving my neighbour. That's what work is. That's why it's so good. That's so right. If I love my neighbour, I will work. I will play my part in society. And by playing my part in society, will provide for society, and society will provide for me. <laughs> we mentioned Nathan earlier. I've never been happier to pay my taxes and never happier to encourage other people to pay taxes because as a result of you paying your taxes, our family paid not one penny to the hospital for 12 months of treatment. That's where your taxes went. Thank God for a society that has taxation and provides medical things, you see? That, that's what it's about, loving your neighbour. When you pay your tax, lo you're loving your neighbour. When you're working enough to pay tax, you're loving your neighbour. And as we pay and make our contribution, so society looks after us as well when we need. That's what it's, it's all about, just loving your neighbour. But there's also unpaid work, isn't there, that's good for society and for which society does pay and does look after us in different ways. Please, in this work, let me, let me just leave aside one issue explicitly, very importantly. I'm not now talking about people who are unemployed because there's no job for them. Unemployment like that is really heartbreaking and soul-destroying. And it's really important our society works hard to provide opportunity for everybody to work. So... There is people who are unwilling to work because they're lazy. There are people who are willing to work but unable to get a job. That's a great tragedy. That's a great difficulty. I'm not talking about that. I'm sorry for you if you're in that situation at the moment. And we must pray and help each other when we go through periods of unemployment like that because it really is pretty destructive of a person. But I'm talking about what Paul is talking about here in this 2 Thessalonians passage where there are people who are unwilling to work. There are people who are unwilling to love their neighbour by putting themselves out Monday to Friday, nine to five. They just want to take and take. And Paul's got very strong words to these Thessalonians because he's wanting to get them back to work. 
But in wanting to get them back to work, he gives the reasons for work. And the reasons for work are not some high-flying kind of philosophical... Th- it's, it's actually just basic what work is about. Look at the reasons he said. See, Jesus, of course, was a worker. He was a carpenter. His apostles set an example to work. I, I worked amongst you to show it to you. He commanded us in the name of the Lord Jesus to work. Uh, it was the tradition of the apostles, he said, to work. Uh, the apostle worked not to be a burden to others. I didn't want to burden any of you while I was preaching the gospel to you, so I worked as hard as any of you. And he commanded them. He made the commandment and the rule, if you're not willing to work, then don't eat. He wants everybody to take responsibility for themselves to work, and so he says, avoid idleness, because people, when they become idle, become busybodies and a real nuisance to everybody else. And he said, we must er learn to earn our own living. See, the nature of work, very basic, very obvious, very fundamental. It's loving your neighbour so that you can provide for them and they can provide for you and no one is being a burden on anybody else. But here's the tension of priorities that I was wanting to draw your attention to. We're all ministers, we're all workers. But how do you fit the two together in your life? How do we fit? Because there's always more ministry to do than we can do. And work requires more and more time, all the time. Thanks to the uh, Sydney kind of transport system, it takes longer and longer to get there as well, doesn't it? And you can spend all week getting to and coming back from work, which is going longer and longer because of the wonders of the computer age where you work on the train on the way in, you work on the train on the way out, and when the kids go to bed, you sit and do a bit more work as well. It's gone to the 40 hours of work limits or 35 or whatever it might be. Notice that concerning work, there are exceptions that some people don't have to work and there are alternative works as well. The exceptions are things like children. So we read in 2 Corinthians 12, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And mind you, children are to repay their parents, for he goes on in 1 Timothy 5 to say, If a widow has children or grandchildren, uh, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. See, there's not just the socioeconomic system that's operating, there's the family system operating in the world as well. And when the children are children, they shouldn't be put to work, they should enjoy their childhood and be dependent upon us. But it, it... It comes around because when they get older and we get older and we're no longer able to work, it should be our children who are providing for us. Widows he has particular concern on because the widows in particular are the ones who find most economic deprivation. And so the church is to care for the elderly widows who have lived a godly life but now cannot provide for themselves. Mind you, younger widows... Oh, no, he says, no, the church shouldn't be providing for them. No, no, his advice to younger widows is in 1 Timothy 5.14, so I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the the enemy no opportunity for slander. There's many a younger widow today who would say, yes, but I can't find the man that I want to marry. Where are all the good men gone? Well, they've gone with feminism. That's where they've gone. But those of us who actually love our wives and care for them properly, they still are around and, and 
but notice the view. Say a younger widow, just because you're a widow doesn't qualify you for being dependent upon other people. If you're young, get to work. If you're old and beyond work, let us look after you and care for you. Another exception to work is, of course, the Sabbath. God didn't work seven days, but six days did he work and rest of the seventh day. So also we shouldn't be working seven days a week, but rest on one day of a week. That is, we were not created simply for work, but also for rest in God. Now this is brought out in the Ten Commandments. You remember the commandment, here's a summary of it. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your manservant nor maidservant nor your animal nor also uh, the alien within your gates. Very important passage there. See, there's more to life than just work. And it's very important to understand it. Being a workaholic is never being godly. That is not God's purpose for God's people, to be a workaholic. You must take time off. Fancy having to be told to take holidays. But so perverse are some people, they actually need to be commanded to take time off. But we need it. But notice also in that verse, the social nature of it again. Not just the boss has to take time off, but the servants and the manservants and the animals and the stranger who's staying with you. You've got to organise it so everybody will take a time off. May I say that our political parties are totally failing us in this regard, both right-wing and left-wing. I don't know which one you're in. It no difference. They've now turned to the work people to put in a report to tell us that we need to work seven days a week, really. And not, oh, you say, no, no, not seven days a week. Just we're removing penalty rates from Sunday so that the servants can keep working while the bosses have them serve them in the restaurants, in the hotels, in the wherever it is, right? It's got, they're not concerned about the good of society and the good of the little people who actually need time with family when the rest of the family's on holidays. No, you can have Tuesday off when your kids are at school and so you can't spend time with them. You can have Wednesday off, but not Sunday. I need you on Sunday to come and serve me. The boss, I won't go on, but you get the general drift. This thing is very serious and we should be complaining. Sometimes it's not an exception to work but an alternative to work. I mean, the classic is, of course, the family. So the Bible sees the importance and value of working at home, even though you may not be paid for it. Titus chapter 2, Paul tells the older women, teach the older women to teach what is good, then they can train the younger women to be busy at home which fits in with his counsel to the younger widows. I counsel younger widows to manage their households. No one works harder than a young mother. That's got to be about the hardest work I know anybody's doing. To say that they're not at work is absurd. They're working really hard. They may not be being paid for it by any employer, and we can reorganise it if you like. You know, you look after my children and I'll pay you, while I'll look after your children and you pay me and we'll both get the government grant because we're running kindergartens for each other's families. There's a total absurdity that is going on in this regard, isn't it? It's hard work to look after little children. Very hard work. And many women, they, they have given their lives to be doing that and we must honour them and respect them and admire them for the hard work that they are doing. Another alternative form of work, of course, was the priests in the temple, which we read about earlier from 1 Corinthians, where it says 
those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar. Which brings us to the main alternative work, that is the ministry. Both of the questions in terms of the full-time ministry and the tent-making ministry. The next verse in 1 Corinthians goes on to say, In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. It's as Paul instructed it, the Galatians. Anyone who receives the instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. But we must not limit ministry to full-time ministry. All Christians are ministers. There are some who are paid to be the ministers. But all of us are ministers doing the same thing. It's just some are paid to do it all the time. And clearly we can't all be full-time ministers because who's going to pay? That's not going to operate. And Christians are to work for their living. The ministry of the gospel is an exception to that. So how do we minister and work? I mean, we can understand how the ministers do it. They do it all the time, yes. But we who have to go to work tomorrow and this week, how, do, how are we supposed to fit our work and our ministry together? Uh, Paul set an example for them in the Thessalonians, working as well as preaching. And he also gave them an example in Corinth, where he returned to his trade. You write it in Acts 18. Paul met Aquila. We got that one up? Paul met Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, the reason he did it in Corinth was he didn't have any financial support. He was the first Christians in there, other than Aquila and Priscilla. There was no money coming in a plate anywhere to pay for him. And so he didn't say, well, I can't do anything because there's no money for me. He went out and be went back to his trade, became a tent maker again, being paid for it. But he didn't give up the ministry either. Every week he was at the synagogue reasoning with them about the gospel, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks to come to Christ. And as soon as the money came from the Macedonian Christians, they sent money, Macedonia is in the north of Greece, unless you're a Macedonian, it's not part of Greece at all. But I won't enter into that. I just thought I'd say that. So no Macedonian gets me later. Um, it's up there north and Corinth is down the south of Greece. Uh, when the money came down from the Macedonians, immediately what did Paul do? Well, we read it in chapter 18 and in the next verse. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So as soon as he had money coming in, he was a full-time minister, he gave up tent making. See, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to make Paul a tent maker. That was not what his goal and life was all about. That is, there's a clear priority of proclaiming the gospel over working for a living. But yet, happily working for a living is a good thing. And when there's no further finance to preach the gospel, then that's what we do in order to minister the gospel. So from this, there are Seemingly three kinds of Christians, the full-time Christian workers and the tent makers and, and the workers. 
No, there are only two kinds. Those who are paid full time and all the tent makers. <laughs> That's who we are. We're the tent makers. That's the two kinds. We work to provide for ourselves to minister the gospel because we're all ministers of the gospel. So our work is what provides us the capacity, the ability, the opportunity to minister the gospel. The world, you see, people work for lots of reasons in the world. Basically, it's to provide for ourselves and our society and provide for others. But some people work in order to find themselves or to improve themselves or to gain status in the community or to find significance in themselves. That's all very sad. Some people work so as to provide for their families. That's realistic. But Christians work in order to provide for ourselves and our families and others in order that we may be able to minister the gospel of salvation to yet more people. You know, for it's a common myth said, you don't, work to, to, you don't live to work. You work to live. But you see, people say that because they don't know what they live for. But we Christians know what we live for. We live for the praise of glory, of the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the salvation of other people. That's what we live for. So that's why you can leave out the little live for bit of the equation and say, we don't work to live. We work to minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to others. It's a much bigger thing that we do. So here we come to the 26th anniversary of MBM, and you'll notice on my outline there, point four, it's got MBM 26 plus, because I hope this is not the concluding service of our gathering. Right? We will conclude the service soon, but this is not the concluding one. This is but looking forward to where we're going in the future. And so let's not just look back, that's worth doing, but look forward what shall we be doing in the next 26 years and more until the Lord Jesus returns? Well, as a church, we must serve one another in love as we minister the gospel to one another. Sunday morning is not an optional extra for Christian people. This is the most important hour of your week. This is why you go to work so as to have the money to be able to sleep and eat and get up and come to the great gathering of God's people where we don't just come to be fed spiritually, where we come to feed others spiritually, where we come to greet the newcomers and welcome more people in, where we come to encourage one another and go through the battles of life and pray for each other and look after each other and build each other up in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, the hour for which we have been working all week so that we will be here and go. And with, with, with our church, we need to be seeing where it is going to. And as a Christian in the church, I must see myself as a servant of Jesus Christ and our Lord, my Lord and Saviour, and therefore as a servant of each one, of whoever I meet up with here, doing whatever I can to save others in and through this church and outside the church, at work, at home, in my family, amongst my neighbours. While I live, I mustn't be a burden to others. 
As much as possible, I should be providing for myself and my family, do my work, pay my taxes, and be content. But the reason I work is so that I may teach my Sunday school class, so that I might lead the Bible study on Wednesday night, so that I might stand beside you and sing the praises of the Lord Jesus and encourage your heart that someone who can sing so badly can still rejoice in it. I love the Lord Jesus and want to sing his praises with you. The reason I work is more than to live. For me to live is Christ. It's to die is gain. If for me to live is Christ, then this is living. This is what I'm working for. And to bring salvation to others is fundamental. Remember the two opening things, Jesus' mission, our mission. Jesus' mission, 1 Timothy 1, let's put it back up again. Here's a trustworthy saying and this observes full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what Jesus gave up heaven with his Father for. That's got to be fundamental to what it's all about. And so, as Paul put it to the Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And in this, you see, he's following the example of Christ himself. So I work. I work, and work is good and right and proper because it's loving your neighbour. But I don't live to work, I work to live. And I don't live for myself or my own happiness. I live for Christ and for others especially that they may be saved. So with that priority in mind, you see why I'm here on a Sunday morning. You see why I'm here on a Wednesday night. You see why I'm here. You see that this is the most important, exciting activity of my week. I, I, I don't live to play golf. I don't work to play golf. There's nothing wrong with playing golf if you want to ruin a good walk. I've played golf for many years, one way or another. I've chased balls into the densest forests known to humanity. So that's where my slice usually takes me. I, I know what the game is. It's an enjoyment, but it's a trivia. It is an unimportant trivia of life. Teaching my Sunday school class is eternally significant. It is the essence of life. It is why Christ has left me in this planet to live. This is what really matters. This is what I give my life for. This is what every Christian is to be giving their life to be doing. And as a church, wonderful. 26 years, but tell you what's one of the best things about this church? Grant Borg has left you. That's one of the best things about this church. Not because we don't want Grant around. I mean, we all like him around. But we're doing what the Lord Jesus did, didn't we? Going into the world to save others. Isn't that wonderful to hear about that couple coming to Christ? That's what you're doing here. When you're putting your money in the, in, the, in the bowls out here, when you're praying in this church, when you're talking to the men and women around about them and encouraging them and teaching the Bible, who is the other grant that's in this church? Where are they sitting now? Because in a few years' time, I hope they're going and doing exactly the same somewhere else in Sydney for this church is living for the salvation of other men, it's the salvation of others that you'll be concerned of. We must never become, this is MBM, the great empire, where nobody ever leaves because we are constantly... The great empire is the kingdom of God, not this church. 
that this church serves the kingdom of God when it makes its decisions on the priority of the gospel. Praise God for the last 26 years. Pray God for the next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he did. He who is rich in glory became poor so that he might by his poverty enrich us. We thank you, Father, that he came into the world to save sinners as, as such as us. And we do pray, Father, that you would help us not only to know this salvation, but to live it. So that we might, in everything we do, bring glory to you. In our work and in our lives, we may bring glory to you. In our families, in our neighbourhood, we may bring glory to you. That in our love for our neighbours, we will put ourselves out, not just to look after them physically, but spiritually, that they may be saved, Father. So give to us such an understanding and such a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, that following the example of the Paul, these apostles, we may follow his example as well, that we may go into the world to save sinners. And we ask it in Jesus' name.